Welcome to Glasgow Evangelicals Podcast. Thanks for listening with us today. Our hope is that today's sermon equips you to live the gospel joyously. Come along with us as we learn to live the gospel together. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an attorney, an earthly sanctuary. A, ta- a tabernacle was set up in the first room where the lampstand and the table with its consecrated, bre- I can't read that, okay. Um, I'm like squinting over there. Um, not the first, a tabernacle set up, it was set up in the first room where the lampstand and the table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had a golden altar of incense and a golden covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone t- tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the sh- cherubim, uh, cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. We, when everything we, everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But one of the high priests entered the inner room and the on, only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that we, that way into the most holy, yeah, that, that the way into the most holy place had not been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle is still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Conscience. There we go. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered him unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called by receive the... Ah. <laughs> For the reason Christ is the mediator of the new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom, set them free from sins under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the, the one who made it, because the will is in force only. When somebody has died, it never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why the first covenant was not put in effect without blood. When Moses, when Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, 
he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll on all of the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant, which God had commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with both the blood of ah, in the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything he used in ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of its of the true one. He entered heaven himself now to appear for us in God's presence, nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to offer many, suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all the culmination and the ages to do away with, with sin by the sacrifice of himself, just as people were designed to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now it's on. Let me try again. That is a tough reading in Hebrews 9. Amen? Uh, thank you, Ethan, Trevor, and Brooklyn, um, for agreeing to do that. Uh, you kind of got stuck because we were on the summer trip and I needed some volunteers. And I, I appreciate you guys volunteering, though, out of, out of the 10 that came. Um, and so we are going to be in Hebrews 9. Um, as, as we said earlier, the Bible app, you can, you can follow along in that. My son came to me this morning and he said, I saw that you shared this on, on the Facebook page. And so I went to the event and I, I looked at it real quick. He's like, there's, there's a lot in there. <laughs> I was like, yeah, there is a little bit in there. Um, but we're already through like this huge section that, that is reading all of, of chapter nine. Um, and so uh, let, let's, let's just jump right into this real quick here and just say that when reading through Hebrews, even just kind of in general, there's a few chapters that are really good. Hebrews 12, I think, is like my favorite. But getting to Hebrews 12, you have like 11 chapters of some Old Testament difficult things. I forgot to release the children. If you're from the ages of three to third grade, you may go. Ethan even asks if he could release them. Like, no, don't worry about it. I'll get it. I won't forget. I forgot. Hey, we'll see you later. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> it is easy to breeze through um, this hard stuff from the Old Testament that's in the New Testament and, and just kind of, kind of just gloss over it. Um, and so what I wanted to do is, in order to, to unpack this word today, um, we need to bring it into context of the Bible, of the, the, the book of Hebrews, and then also the, the chapter that we're in. And one thing that, that helped uh, me is a video, and so uh, there's a, a website called, and it's also a YouTube channel, and it's this whole organization called The Bible Project. Um, and if you look at the, one of the inserts in the bulletin, 
It says Hebrews, and it looks like this. We have a picture we'll show later. Um, th that came from the Bible Project. I did not draw this. I could not draw this. Um, and so this, this is, uh, there's a video that goes along, and you can watch them draw this in Hebrews. That's actually not the video we're going to watch. There's a different video I wanted to watch. Um, but uh, you can watch them draw this and, and bring it together. And so it really helps understanding in context the verses that we're reading. Uh, this video, uh, though, talks about covenant. And while we've been in Hebrews, we've, Hebrews, we've talked a lot about covenant. And I just want us to have some, some really good understanding as we go into this. So Tony, if you can... Uh, play that video. If you've been be around awesome. Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much, and that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right, and this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great, so what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him, promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. 
The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. If you've been around Christians, you've about you, but that, that helps me. I'm kind of a visual learner, um, especially when there's silly drawings, I, I pay a little bit more attention. Maybe that's why I ask for silly drawings in the prayer request, right? Um, but uh, so that, that website, I'm not trying to promote that website, but it is a great place to get some resources. I, in the app, I, I linked the other video that I, I just mentioned uh, that describes the book of Hebrews. Um, but as I said, I wanted to talk about the covenant a little bit more. Before I do any of that, I'd like to, to pray and get us all kind of into the mindset of where we're, where we're going here. Uh, dear Lord, um, I'm just a dude that does not deserve to be up here. Uh, Lord, may you speak your message. May you help us to dive into your word. May you help us to understand your covenants, your promises, your son. In understanding all of that, may we then turn and glorify you. And so the talk today, the, the goal is that we can have better understanding and, and are able to share you even better with those around us. Uh, so, Lord, may we focus on ourselves for a moment and, and where we need to grow in our relationship with you so that it all just may turn to you. Lord, just um, move me out of the way. As, as any kind of stumbling block and just speak your word. In your holy name we pray, amen. So what's the, what's the danger? If we're, we're told that we should read our Bible and we should um, 
study and, and pray. And, and so I, th- I think what happens is one of my, my biggest fears um, is that we oftentimes go to the Bible to seek approval or, or um, permission for something that we've already done. So like we want to change jobs or we want to move or we want to go on vacation or, you know, whatever. And so then, then what we do is, especially now in the age of Google, is we just start searching some of these things, right? What does the Bible say about saving money? And there's a really cool app that if you type into Google, what does the Bible say? And then you put a phrase in, it pops up verses that go along with that. Um, so what does the Bible say about service? And you pop that in, and then it's called openbible.org, and um, it's, it, it has all of these verses, and they, they rank them. You can vote on which one you feel most fits that thing. Cool place to go and try to find something if you're trying to offer encouragement or help or some things like that, but honestly, that's a dangerous way to approach the Bible, to say, this is how I want to live my life. Let me find how the Bible agrees with it. We start missing things like Hebrews 9, Hebrews 9 isn't going to offer us comfort in, in our savings account or vacation or retirement or raising our children. It doesn't specifically say, don't spank your kids, right? Like, and so if we go into this, um, we're, we're not going to end up in Hebrews 9. If we accidentally find ourselves in Hebrews 9, I've done it many times in the past, I just kind of check out, right? Like, like you're, you're like, I'm going to read Hebrews. And so this, this month is Hebrews month. And every morning you wake up and you read a few verses until you kind of decide you want to stop. And, and you get to chapter 9. I swear this is the first time I've read Hebrews chapter 9 is to teach it to us. Like really read it. And so my, my fear is that as we do this, we don't understand the why or the how. We start, to, we start to say things like this. This is just for the Bible thumpers. This is just for, for those people that, that, that study the word. Um, we maybe say stuff like, I am not really gifted for understanding this kind of stuff. Let me just squelch that. You are all intended to understand God's word. Every word of it even Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers. All of that stuff is actually God texting you, personally messaging you. Not so that we can come alongside of it and ask for permission for the things that we're doing, but so that he can guide us in our steps before we take them. And so that is where I think, um, if, and again, if you're following a new version, I'm not going to try to like single people out that don't have smartphones or on, on this, um, but that's just, you'll see me looking at my phone. That's where my, this is literally where I'm getting my notes from is exactly what's written in front of you there. So um, if we blow past this word and this explanation of God's covenant and of Jesus' blood, we are in danger of turning, and if, if you see it, big capital J Jesus into lowercase Jesus. And I want to explain that just for a second. I, I, in, in a lot of my prayer and 
Um, you know, I, as a pastor, and I don't know if this is a common thing for just Christians in general. I don't know if this is just a weird thing that God does to me, but I always have like a certain level of angst on some kind of level for the church family. Um, and it's different categories, right? Like, I don't think we're in the word enough. And so you'll hear me preach about the word. And I don't think we're doing this enough. And so what my angst is right now, what I think a big concern is, is that we think and try really hard to worship lowercase j Jesus. We have actually set up an idol in the shape of this white man on a cross and, and, and we worship that. And it is not actually what's in here. Satan has fooled us. He's, he's tricked us into an idol named Jesus and told us that we can have salvation through lowercase h, lowercase h, him. We cannot find salvation in Anything lowercase. Jesus is capital J. Jesus is the Jesus. And Jesus can only be found in here. He can't be found in Googling phrases and, and amazing conversations with friends. He can, you can be led to him that way. But to seek and, and sustain relationship with him, we need to be in here to understand that. And so I know what I'm talking about right now actually isn't in the scripture. This is the point that I really is the overarching thing because it's what God was convicting me of as I read through Hebrews 9 for the first time. We've got we've to read. We've got to get into it. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, uh, will we'll, we'll balance this out a little bit. And it's something I didn't notice uh, before. Um, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God, and you see the lowercase g, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, capital C, who is the image of uppercase, capital God, G, capital G, God. Let me read that one more time. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Little G, God, the world... And Satan wants us to worship a God, but not the God. Um, one of my favorite pastors that, that I listen to, besides Seth Runner, is, um, <laughs> is David Platt. Um, I don't agree with absolutely everything he teaches. And believe me, I haven't, I haven't like delved into his doctrinal statement and said I sign off on it. Um, I, I barely sign off on my own. So anyway, <laughs> uh, David Platt has this, this phrase I've heard him say in a couple times in sermons, which is um, oftentimes we look at uh, sermons and teaching as, as a pool. Bear with me. We have a pool party coming up, so this is relevant, okay? We look at it as a, as a pool and going to the pool. Some pastors and teachers look at the Word of God as the diving board. So they will start out and kick off their shoes, and they'll jump off from a verse. And then they'll just swim around in their own mess. <laughs> um, some pastors or some teachers, uh, Bible study leaders, um, will look at the Word of God as the pool, but they won't ever get in. They'll just stand back and gaze at it. What we should be doing is viewing the Word of God as the pool. And when we're here teaching today, we should jump in 
and swim around in it and get it all over us and get messy. And, and, and so that is my goal today as we get in, is that we are going to jump into the pool. We're going to jump into this word. We're not going to breeze over it. We're not going to turn big G into little G, big J into little J. We are going to try to figure this out here. I have an image that is also in the bulletin that Tony's going to put up here because he's amazing like that. Thank you, Tony. So this is, this is the entire book. So the video we watched of the covenants brings us into the Bible context of, of where we're at, biblically talking about covenants and what was required in those things. And then in the book, you can see all of this, this awesome stuff. And so I know Seth has gone over a lot and we've gone over a lot as, we, as we've been teaching. We don't know the author of, of Hebrews. Uh, we do know that ultimately the, the author is the Holy Spirit. The author is Jesus, and, um, and so we don't, the, the, and all that means, so that we're clear, where there's not some random book in the Bible that somebody found on the street corner, okay? Like, it's just missing the signature part, okay? Um, all the letters and stuff that we have in the Bible have signatures, and so the Apostle Paul was like, Apostle Paul, and you can see those at the end. I pray for you, and there's like a closing statement. There isn't one of those on Hebrews, okay? Um, we know that it's written by one of the patriarchs, one of the apostles, and that's why it's up there, but ultimately, Jesus is the author, and so who's the audience? The audience is the Hebrews, the Christian Jewish people. And so let's, let's get a gr grasp of this for a second. Everybody in Jesus's time was Jewish, they believed in the Bible, the Old Testament. And then when Jesus came, we started getting the New Testament, which Hebrews is in, and it adds Jesus to it. And so they're, they're Hebrews. They just, there wasn't an intent for Jesus to set up another religion. Jewish believers were just supposed to be Jewish believers that believed in Jesus. It was just, it was just a continuation of the religion, but some people didn't see and so what we've set up now as humans is Christianity that's separate from Judaism, Hebrews. Um, and so this book is written to um, believers of Christ in the Jewish nation, the Jewish religion. Um, and so they were going to have a, 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 a great understanding of a lot of things. But I, I want to bring us to these four squares right here. Look, oh, there's my finger. And so... Um, chapters 1 and 2, they talk about, and we have talked about in here, how Jesus is higher than the angels, and he's more than the Torah. The Torah was the first five books of the Bible, is the first five books, um, and, and that's what a lot of Hebrews would have been studying back then, would have known, would have understood, and would have had a large, amazing grasp of. Um, and so... Chapters 1 and 2 set up that Jesus is higher than that. Then it talks about Moses and the promised land, and Jesus is higher than that. We have God's, these, these phrases right down here at the bottom, you can really get into. There's a warning, and then what it is. So Jesus actually is God's word. There's hope for new creation. And then 5 through 7, which was last week, um, that we talked about Mel. Remember Seth talking about Mel. Melchizedek is what I say. He says Kezedek. I don't know who's right. I wasn't, neither one of us have met him. And so um, chapters five through seven uh, says that Jesus is the eternal high priest. And then we are in the, the block that's on the far right, eight through 10. Um, and so we're, we're talking about sacrifice. Um, so these things have already been set up. If we just dive into chapter nine without any kind of context, again, there's a, there's a, there's a danger there that we're just going to think that we have an understanding. But we need to know that God has set up covenants in the Old Testament. We as humans broke all of those covenants. That Jesus came along to restore all those covenants. And I think the picture in that video was awesome of the handshakes. 
that the only handshake that didn't work was the human one. And so we got another human handshake, right? To, to reveal that covenant, to com, com, complete that covenant. And it was Jesus. God had to send himself in human form to fulfill our side of the covenant because we couldn't do it. Oh, oh such a beautiful picture. Beautiful. So we are in... 8 through 10, and we're talking about sacrifice and covenant, and so we're going to, Hebrews 9.1. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. You got that verse, Tony? Finger guns works. Um, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. Hebrews 9.8. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. I actually uh, preached on this uh, a few months ago where we had a, a picture of the tabernacle up there and it was a tent and it had a big square around the whole thing, and then there's a little square in the middle that's the holiest of holy. And so we've talked about this. The tabernacle was a, a tent. It was made of cloth. It was able to move. It didn't move a bunch, um, but it was able to move, and it had all of this, this stuff that when we're reading through Hebrews uh, 9 through, uh, Hebrews 9, 1 through 10, it starts talking about the, the Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the golden covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the golden jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded. I, I uh, will encourage all of you to go through Hebrews 9, and when it's referring to the Old Testament, go there. That's when it's safe to Google, right? Aaron's staff that budded. Type it into Google, Aaron's staff that budded. Find out where that is. Go read that story. And so when it's referring to this stuff, I, I, I strongly urge you to, to find out what this is talking about. Um, we're not going to go into great detail um, of that. We're going to now go to Hebrews 9, 9 through 10. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience, conscience of the worshiper. They're only a matter of food and drink and various ceremony washings, external regulations applying until a time of new order. Seth talked about it last week. We've, I talked about it when we talked about the tabernacle. But there was a, there was a high priest assigned to the nation of Israel to uh, atone for their sin. Atone, to pay for, to cover, to, to, to replace, uh, the, 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 to, to fix it, right? Like there's something broken. It's called people. The high priest had to cover himself in blood, cover the altar in blood, cover this in blood, cover that in blood, and then tied the rope around his ankle and walked into the holiest of holy. And if he was a sinful man, he'd die right there. They'd pull him out and they'd throw another one in there. Um, but he had to do that once a year into the holiest of holies. And that's where he would atone for the sins of the nation. What I did and, and what I found in my studies was that actually the, these high priests would like quickly go in there, okay? And now I, I want us all to think about how quick after we leave church or even while we're still in church, as soon as the sermon's over, maybe sometime during the sermon, how quickly we start sinning. Just in our head. Like, oh, I don't like that person. I don't like this person. I want to do that. I want to do this. I'm thinking about me. I'm not thinking about you. I'm not thinking about God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go to the lake. I'm going to do this. And we just start sinning like, like instantly. The high priest was the same. He liked going to the lake too. Right? Like, like, he thought girls were hot. Like, he, he, 
had bad thoughts. And so he knew that about himself and he would sit and he would atone and every day they'd have these things. They'd have monthly ceremonies where they were trying to get rid of the sin. They had yearly ceremonies and this yearly one, he would go in there and they said that he would be as fast as possible, hoping that while he was in the holiest of holies, he would not sin. I'm thinking of me, right? So let's pretend, please, I am not your high priest, but let's pretend for a minute that we're back in those days. There's a tabernacle and I'm gonna go in as your high priest. God forbid. I have now sprinkled myself to cover my sins in blood. I've gone through the ceremonies and I have the incense and then I've covered everything else in blood. And as I walk into the holiest of holies, I'm gonna start covering things in there in blood because those holy things cannot see sinful me. The blood is what covers it. And so they're, they're, they're just throwing blood everywhere. And in it, I know I'm gonna be like, why is my wife doing this? Right, like, like why? Why do I have to be the one that's, that's in here? I'm gonna think about somebody that could be a high priest better than me and I'm gonna die. Because <laughs> I'm selfishly thinking of me rather than trying to atone for the sins of Israel. Um, and so I know that when, when, when the high priest is in there, he's like, I have gotta be quick, dude. I'm gonna go in there, I'm gonna say this quick prayer. I have it written down on my hand. Hopefully it doesn't sweat off. And he's, you got the rope, right? You got the rope? You got the rope, Seth? You got the rope? You got, you got to pull me out. Like my wife needs my body if I die. Okay, you got the rope. All right, I'm going to go. I'll be, I will be right back. In blood, 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 dear Lord. And then he'd run out, right? And so he's in there quick because he does not want to sin while he's in here. He will die. Then he threw a party. If he could go into this holiest of holies and atone for the sin of Israel, I'm telling you, y'all, we'd be having some hot dogs, <laughs> right? Like, like the grill is turned on. So Seth has got the rope, but he knows as soon as he feels me start running out, he's gonna go turn on the grill. Like we are going to party. And so that's what they used to do. These high priests, as soon as they got out, they'd as soon as they got out, start sinning. <laughs> but they, they, they would throw a party. Leviticus 17.4. Because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I've said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is its blood. Anyone who eats, eats it must be cut off. That first part there, because the life of every creature is its blood. They understood it then more than anything now, we understand it now. What happens when you run out of blood. Dead. The life, the life. God, God designed this, this fluid to be inside of us that give us life. It brings us nutrients. It keeps our limbs working and not numb and blue. And it is, it is, it is our life. And I know some of us have, have um, maybe been hunting before. And um, I know that with with deer, if you, if you can get a good shot, okay, I might, I'm not gonna get too graphic here, but if you can get a good shot, you know, heart and lungs, when you go in and you, you have this animal and, and hopefully respectfully, you're, you're, you're cutting open, you split open the rib cage, it is, it is a bloody mess. It is, there is, there's, a, there's a lot of blood and, and it, it gets on everything. You gotta roll up your sleeves. You gotta take off all your fancy jewelry. <laughs> you, 
you got to try to watch where, where, where your, your legs are going. And it's, you, you get it on a slant so that blood will start to, to come out. When they were sacrificing these animals, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And I can't help to think that maybe that was God trying to show us how messy our sin is. How, how messed up we've, we've made everything. And so he sets up this tabernacle, and, and it sounds so silly. It sounds, they had the, 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 the ark with the cherubim and the shadows and the, the staff and the manna. And, the, and they, have, they have all of this, this stuff that can just get confusing to us. But understand that this was the, the visible representation of the earthly tabernacle that God hoped that we could join him in. These things had to be cleansed to even for us to even be near them. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a study you could do on, on holiness and, and our unholiness, our sin, that we can't be near even the, the, the visible representations of those heavenly things. This is God trying to show us here on earth what heaven is about and his holiness and his amazingness and his can't even comprehendness and, and just the representations of it, we can't get near this is where the story should, well, we shouldn't have even got to this point, okay? God didn't need to create us. Amen? He could have just been God and would have still been perfect, amazing, and awesome. But there's a portion of God that he has that's called love. Love requires relationship. And so he created us in his image to completely fail at everything we do. Our story should stop right here in Hebrews 9. And this would be fair. This is what we deserve. We deserve every year to have to atone for our sins, every month to have to atone for our sins, every week to have to pay for our sins, to pay back our sins, to, to try to get to heaven. He deserves us to earn it. God deserves that. God should have that. He is our high priest. He is our king. He deserves us to earn our way to him. And every day, we should have to sacrifice everything to just hope for an opportunity to get there. Our story doesn't end there. Our story doesn't end there. We, we don't have to. That would be bad news for us that God created us to just hold a magnifying glass over the ants and burn them and to say your life you need to do everything you have everything you can every ounce of money every bit of love if it doesn't come to me you better kill the most important animal in your life the most sinless one you can find shed its blood so that I can be worshipped that's what we deserve that's what the whole Old Testament is building up to for us, is to say, this is humanity lost. This is what you deserve. First Peter, chapter one, verse 17 through 23. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, 
you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus Christ is the word. Jesus Christ is the blood. What is at stake if we just breeze over this? We could think after a small understanding of Christ and God that Christ adds to our life. He helps us overcome our sin. He helps us overcome bad stuff. He blesses us with new vehicles and jobs and things. We could just stop there in our everyday life. We could just lowercase j everything. We could just say that Jesus, bless Jesus that I am here today. It's kind of true. God does bless us in the little things and does care deeply about us and does offer us amazing things that usually stop in our sinfulness and, and selfishness. But how many times are we at work and instead of saying, oh, thank God I didn't have to do this, or oh, great googly moogly, God helped me do this. How many times at work have we said, it's his blood. It's Christ's blood. That is the payment. The blood is life. Do people you work with know that you're excited, happy, or thankful for the blood of Christ? Or is that a little weird? Is that weird to say you're, you're excited about the blood of Christ? Could you say that in work? Could you say that even to fellow Christians? I'm excited that the blood of Christ covers my sin because I am a horrible person. And all the blessings that I get, I do not deserve. And the blood of Christ is what covers that so that God doesn't see me, he sees himself. He is the one shaking the hand, not me. I can't give or take or receive any of the credit. It is God. People just think we blame Jesus for good stuff in our life. Here's a hint. The good and bad happens to everyone, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Good stuff happens to people that don't believe in Jesus. And so when we tell them that this good stuff is happening because of Jesus, they're like, well, I get it without Jesus. Why do I need Jesus? And it's because you're sharing lowercase j, Jesus. You're sharing this Jesus that you, we, we, we have not invested in understanding and, and loving and, and why the blood, why Hebrews 9, why the tabernacle? This is important to share, otherwise it wouldn't be in here. This would just be a bunch of stories about how Paul was really happy that he didn't spend very much time in jail. But this is a story of how he did spend time in jail and how he is excited about the blood of Christ. And it's the only thing that deserves any kind of glory. So here's, here's I just got back from a, uh, the summer trip and I was in Ohio in about the dead center of this trip with, with Amy Fast and, and 10 students in the back of the van and we're showing up a little late because we met Roger in Chicago and ask Amy or Trevor or Ben or myself about Roger in Chicago and y'all there will be tears, trust me. And so it, kept, it got us late going into Ohio. We were supposed to be there before the sun went down and, and have a little snack, but we weren't getting in there until late. I started using, and Amy made fun of me, a new app for a, a map that day, it was called Waze. 
It was cool because it would sing as, a, as like a, a boy band to you when you needed to turn. Like, turn right, and then turn right. <laughs> Amy hated it. Um, well, Waze took us a different ways, okay? <laughs> like, like, and so I, we were there last year. I was in Ohio last year with Joel. I, I knew where we were going. I'd driven around by myself and with the group when we were in Ohio. We're coming down these dark roads, and it starts to get bumpy. Remember Amy? And it's like, and I'm like, finally, after I already kind of felt lost, like I look at Amy, I'm like, I don't know where we are. In my, in my head, I was kind of freaking, okay? If you know me, I am a navigation guy. Like, I, where's north? And I can point there, you know, like, like I, I like to know where I'm at. Uh, the army definitely built in map building and, 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 and just figuring out where I am. And so in this moment, I'm freaking out in my head going, I, I might be lost. What if this new Waze app is bringing me not even to the same county? Like, like what if we think we're going to Joel's house and it's bringing us to like be sex slaves? Like, I didn't know where it was bringing us. Like, just some, some, some area like Waze is like some secret. I didn't know what it was happening, okay? So this is where my mind was going. But all I had to do, all I really had to do was open up the, net, the app I knew. But no, like Amy's mad about that. I'm not opening up Google Maps, which I trust and I know will bring me to the right place. I'm sticking with my app. I'm gonna spit everywhere. I'm sticking with my app. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not gonna stop at any of these creepy houses out here in Amish country. How many of us in this room have been lost and not wanted to ask for help? Come on, raise your hands, admit it. You've been in the mall, you've been in even maybe Glasgow when you first moved here. You've been somewhere and not wanted to ask, help, ask for help. It's the human condition. We do not want to admit when we are lost. Y'all, We're lost. I would love to tell you an amazing story about how through belief in Christ, you are gonna be blessed in this life and you're gonna have an abundance. The good news of the gospel is that we are lost. Hopelessly lost. We cannot, will not earn our way to God. With a high priest, without a high priest, like, like it ain't happening, y'all. The first step to really understanding Jesus is admitting your lostness, our lostness. Matthew 26, 27 through 29. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now, from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous. The righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. There's power in the blood. There's power in understanding 
Hebrews 9, to knowing why the tabernacle was set up and how it was set up and what the blood did, what Christ's blood did in this covenant. He, Christ, is shaking the hand of God. Our only requirement is to believe that. As we close up, I'm going to have the worship band come up here. Um, Not a lot went into the bulletin. Okay, if you look on the back and you're looking for notes, um, there's a couple verses in there. And even the, the first Peter verse, I didn't get all of it there because the, the sermon kind of got out of hand. <laughs> but what I want, what I want is, is I want you to understand that, that there's, there's a fear. What you can do, in, if you'd like, in, in the back, on the back of your bulletin, is write like, like uppercase J, Jesus. Underline that J. Make sure that, that, that as we're in relationship with Jesus, that is who and what we are worshiping, is, is uppercase J, Jesus, big Jesus. The next thing you can write underneath that is, there is power in the blood. That blood was needed to cover our sins. That blood was needed to, to even get us into the, the earthly tabernacle. But we're now going to the heavenly tabernacle. Christ went there and cleansed all of that in heaven when he was on the cross. And we can't understand what he did on the cross without understanding what happened before that, to understand the payment. And so it's much like this. If I came to your place of business and I had a huge pile of Monopoly money, and I said, here's your $10, and it's pink, little, crumply. Kids got a hold of it. Maybe a drawing of something on the back. And you say, Brian, this does not work. It does. You said that the item was $9. I have now given you 10. No, Brian, this is Monopoly money. I need American dollars. At this point, they'll even take pesos. I can get those. Like, I need real money. We need real Jesus. We need to understand that that, that blood is not Monopoly money. That blood is real that paid for us our lost souls. After, after the song, I'm going to come back up and I'm going to share two more verses. If there, if there, in case there's any confusion, we got to get into the Word. That's the first point. we got to dive in, get messy in it. Don't dive off from it. Don't watch it from a distance. Dive into it. Let's get in the Word. You personally, in the Word, interact with God. Because we don't know what he overcame if we don't know what he overcame. The blood is the payment. It may sound weird. It may be hard to comprehend, but read it for yourself. And then share it with others. I'm not saying don't tell people that God bless you with X, Y, and Z, and you're happy for this kid and that kid and things going on in your health. That's all great to share. This is what the world needs to hear. Because if there is a God, we got to get to him somehow. If there's an almighty God, we can't get to him somehow. We need to know how to get there. And if you can't explain the how and the why of Jesus's blood covering your lost self, we're all just gonna to continue to wander around through Ohio in the darkness because you don't wanna admit things to Amy. Let's not be lost, let's be found. 
So here it is. Romans 12, one uh, through three in, in the message. And Seth's explained it before I have as well. The message translation is a paraphrase and we don't usually use it to teach out of, but I think that sometimes it offers a little bit more emotion and it comes down to my level of education. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to his level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. Develops well-informed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it is important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Let's pray. Lord, it's your word. Help us this week. Lord, Lord, begging you to help us this week. Interrupt everything. Make life hard without you. Lord, help us to get into the word. Help us to understand the word. Don't let our earthly, selfish things get in the way of diving deeper into you. Lord, let us swim around. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us again for another sermon of the GEC podcast. Connect with us at GlasgowEC.com or every Sunday morning at 10 here in Glasgow, Montana. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes because this helps us share the word with more people. See you next week.